start where the stop. It means it doesn't matter what age you are, um, what gender you are, what size you are. If you want to start your fitness journey or any journey in your life, it's never too late to start that journey. Mm-hmm. And it's a book about a lot about my experience of, of growing up and what I've been through as a, as a kid. Cause uh, like I said, a lot of people who know me now would never believe what I've been through as a kid. They just would assume that I've always been naturally in great shape and always been happier how I look. So it's a lot about my past and growing up, but then it's a lot about giving people the tools to, to, to goal set, to achieve, um, goals that they want to achieve and not be scared of aiming high. Hello and welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. In this episode, I sit down with Zach George, who earned the title of fittest man in the UK in 2020. Zach wasn't always so fit or into training. As a child, a steady diet of sweets and fast food led him to being extremely overweight and self-conscious. But with the support of his family, he was slowly able to transform from a kid who hated exercise to one of the most athletic teens in his school. Fueled by the knowledge of how much better he felt living a healthy lifestyle, Zach has made it his mission to inspire others to do the same. So in addition to training for the 2021 CrossFit Games, he coaches others at his affiliate, CrossFit BFG. He works with remote clients, and he's just written a book based on his personal mantra, Start Where Others Stop. In this episode, we sit down to chat about how making small changes can lead to dramatic results, why it's important to surround yourself with the right community, and why it's never too late to set big goals and chase them down. Before we dive into the episode, I do want to make it clear that this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. I recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. Now, let's get started with the episode. So, welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm so excited to be here with the fittest man in the UK, Zach George. Um, Thank you for joining me on this lovely morning for me, and it sounds like a rainy afternoon for you. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on this uh, podcast. I've been very looking forward to it. But yes, not yes. good weather in England today. <laughs> Never good weather in England. Well, uh, you mentioned just before you started recording that you had done a training session already today. And we're looking at week one of the 2021 CrossFit Open this week. So I guess I just want to start off with how are you feeling and what are your thoughts going into the Open? Yeah, uh, feeling really good. It's um, a lot less stress. Um and very different this season than it has been to previous um, seasons. So obviously um, when I win the Open, um, the Open was very much your ticket to get to the game. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of pressure over those five weeks. You wanted to peak for those five weeks. So you want to be in the best possible condition you can be. Whereas now it's a little bit different. You don't really want to be peaking now too early. You want to be peaking for the semifinals that are going to be around May, June time. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's probably going to be the, the first Open where you can just enjoy it and have a bit of fun with it and not take it so seriously and not get so stressed out about the whole process um so yeah so I'm looking forward to looking forward to um to get the workouts and seeing what they are but in England we're still in lockdown so you've not got that atmosphere of doing it with all your members and the people around you which is going to be a bit bit of a weird one but um yeah I'm very much excited for it that's great well yeah probably easier said than done not to get too stressed out but at least good to know there's not so much pressure on this stage 
Um, yeah, and you've so. seen you've seen a lot of changes in the format since I mean you first went to regionals in 2018, and then the format I think has changed every year since then. Yeah. How do you feel about the format going into this season? What are your thoughts? I think I think with with CrossFit, and I've done it for seven years now. You just get used to the changes and getting used yes. to <laughs> yeah, just adapting whatever they throw out. So. I think if you speak to anyone else in either the sport, they're like, your sport's crazy because how can it change so often? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you, you kind of just get used to used to the changes. And when they announce them, you're like, OK, cool, that's the new format. And then let's crack yeah. on. Um, but I really enjoyed the um, the format for the national champs. I think it was a good, um, it was a good way of, of getting the sport out there to a wider audience and getting more mm-hmm. people at the games. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again there was something pretty unique about having the top sort of 40 at the games and having the the fittest there. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I like the changes and there's nothing you can do personally about them. So you just got to kind of adapt with it and, and move with the changes. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely, uh, definitely excited for this season. I probably say a little bit more because there is less pressure on the open for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can enjoy a little bit more and, and get through the, the stages and then, Hopefully, in the semi-final stages, we're going to be able to have some crowd at the events because that will be such a game changer. I think regionals 2018 was amazing because there was so many spectators there, yeah. and it was the atmosphere was insane. And yeah, I've never been to a competition like it. So, mm-hmm. if that could be replicated for the semi-finals in May June, that would be something special. But um, yeah, if there's going to be no crowd there again, it's going to be very strange That's competing. Rough. Yeah, I think we're all ready to get back into that environment where we can have a crowd and be excited to watch watch all the competitors out on the floor. I think we've all been missing that over the last year. Yeah, and I'm I'm definitely an athlete that thrives off that um, atmosphere and really enjoy being in front of a crowd and meeting all the fans. So, mm-hmm. yeah, for me, that's something that's very special to me and I really like that part of competing. So, mm-hmm. fingers crossed we can get to that stage by May, June, but you never know mm-hmm. what's going on at the minute. Sure. So, you know, you are last year in the title of fittest in the UK, but um, I know you have an amazing story of transformation and weren't always the fittest growing up. So can you share with us a little bit about your story and what your life was like um, when you were growing up? Yeah, so I was probably the complete opposite to what I am now. And anyone Mm -hmm. who knew me when I was a kid would never believe what I've achieved um, because probably up to the age of maybe 13, 14, I'd say. I was a very overweight kid, didn't like exercise. Um, my parents would try and get me to go for walks or runs. I just, just hated it. Mm-hmm. I had junk food and um, takeaway food probably five times a week. Mm-hmm. Um, bags of sweets of chocolate every single day. And I was just a kid that loved eating and didn't really enjoy exercising. Yeah. And um, yeah, I remember I, I loved playing sport and I was always a sporty kid. Um, so if you put me on a rugby pitch, I would love playing that sport and mm-hmm. I'd enjoy every minute of it. But then as soon as I'd finished that, I didn't want to do any activity whatsoever. Um, so I was always a sporty kid and, mm-hmm. and I like playing sport, but the activity and training side, uh, I used to hate. Okay. And um, I think it all stems from like going back years and years. When my mum had my sister, there's a seven year gap between me and my sister and my mum wanted a, a massive family. So she wanted probably six to nine children. Oh, she wow. always wanted a really, really big family. Mm-hmm. And um, she had my sister. That was her first one. And then she had seven miscarriages oh. between uh, my sister and myself. Mm-hmm. So when I came along, it was kind of like a miracle that 
she could have another child. Yeah. So she kind of wrapped me in cotton wool so much that if I wanted some chocolate, she'd give me some chocolate or mm-hmm. if I wanted some sweets, she'd give me some sweets. And it's only because she loved me so much. She's so grateful that she could have another child. But obviously in hindsight, it probably wasn't the best thing for me because I was just putting on weight and weight and weight. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that's where it all stems from. There's a lot of memories of me and my mum just pigging out over the weekends, like three days straight of just having ridiculous amounts of crisps and fizzy drinks. And mm-hmm. those memories are, I'll never forget and I, I'd never change it for the world, but um, it definitely wasn't good for my uh, physique or confidence or anything like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I was um, a very overweight kid. I didn't like taking the top off. Um, I was very self-conscious. So I'd always try and skip swimming lessons at school or pretend I was ill so I didn't have to take my top off to go to the swimming lessons, mm-hmm. um, which is very different now to living with my top <laughs> off pretty much 24-7. Yeah. Do you remember you know, as a child, like any first memories of when you started to be aware of your weight or started to become self-conscious about it? Yeah, there's, there's two, there's two kind of real big moments that always stick in my mind um, when I was growing up. One was always making an excuse um, for the swimming lessons and, and mm-hmm. not swimming at school. That was one that was always very vivid because it used to be like a weekly occurrence. And I always remember trying to think of a new excuse why I couldn't go to school that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one that really stuck. And another time was when um, I was sitting downstairs in our old house. It was me, mum, dad and my sister. And um, I was sitting there, didn't have a top off because I was OK around my family. Mm-hmm. And um, my parents, friends just pulled up in the drive. I could see him pull up. So I went to quickly run upstairs so they didn't see me with my top off. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember my dad saying, don't go upstairs you shouldn't be ashamed of your body um just come and just relax how you are mm-hmm. I remember I started crying and mum's like just let him go so I ran upstairs got a top on and then then came down so uh-huh. that was another kind of very vivid moment of being very self-conscious of how I looked wow wow but, um, and yeah at what point then did you you know you said you love playing sports but didn't love exercising so much at what point did you start to decide or, or start to take action in changing um some of your habits so that you could lose weight yeah so it happened around I think I was about 13 14 and to my knowledge this was the first time that my my dad had tried to make me lose weight but from speaking to him um when I got older this was probably like a sixth or seventh attempt that he tried but the other attempt just weren't working but I can't mm-hmm. remember them um but yeah so, so lesson to those listening don't give up to be persistent you know no matter yeah, how many exactly. tries it takes <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's quite funny because to me, this is the first thing that I can remember. But my dad was like, there was probably six or seven times before that where I completely have no idea or can't remember those attempts yeah. at all. Um, but it was uh, when the PlayStation 2 came out, I really mm-hmm. wanted a PS2. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad was like, right, I'll make you a deal. Um, I'll get you the PlayStation 2 if you... If you try and eat a little bit better, try and exercise a bit more, which in return will will lose some weight. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, great. Like, that's an amazing deal. I'll just stop eating so much junk in the week and hopefully that will work. Not yeah. really knowing what I was doing or how to lose weight because I, I was a young kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember my mum was kind of stressing out because she didn't want to put pressure on me and she loved the way I was. So there's a bit of conflict between my mum being so loving and then my dad just being a realist. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I basically, instead of having five McDonald's a week, I only had three or 
Instead mm-hmm. of having a bag of sweets every day, I'd probably only have them two or three times a week. And um, it was the first time, without me even knowing, I, I was kind of goal setting. So we had a goal. The reward was the PlayStation 2. And then I worked hard for a month to be able to achieve that goal. And then, then we achieved it. So um, at the end of the four weeks or maybe six weeks, um, we had some measurements. I'd lost some weight. And that was a really good feeling for me. Um, mm-hmm. I felt amazing. I could tell my body shape was changing as well. Because mm-hmm. it was a very quick change at that point because I was quite overweight. It was mm-hmm. quite a drastic change for the first six to eight weeks. And um, all my clothes were getting too big for me and I felt really good about it. So I went with my dad. I'll never forget, we bought the PlayStation 2, bought me a few games. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I think you should, you should try and carry it on. And because how happy it made me feel, I was yeah. like, yeah, I think I'm going to do that, Dad, because I feel really good from, from doing this. And then um, about six months later, we went to a Anthony Robinson seminar Um I don't know if you know too much of, of his stuff. Yes, but, um, I've been to his seminar. It was, oh my gosh, it was amazing. Yeah. Oh, wicked. Yeah. Yeah, so, I love it. The Unleash the Power Within. That's the one. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I did that actually right before, in 2015, right before the open, and it had such a huge impact on me for that season. Yeah, it's amazing. So obviously it's all about like um, your mental outlook on things and nutrition, yeah. health and positive thinking and things like that. So it was um, a really good weekend for me. I think it was over three days. Mm-hmm. And then did you do the um, the hot coal walking as the well? The fire after? walk, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was amazing. Whole, yeah, the whole weekend kind of builds you up to kind of mentally walk over these hot coals and, and block mm-hmm. out the, the heat pain and things like that. So that was a really good um, uplifting experience for us as a family. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of, that was the second big change for me because after that, I wanted to get in really good shape health-wise and, and mentally just to be a better person, the best version I could be. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really need any other external source to to want to achieve that. So I didn't need someone to say, I'll buy you this if you do, if you do this or mm-hmm. you'll get this if you do this. It was the first time where I just wanted to be in the best shape for me and so I could have the best life I could possibly have. So I definitely remember that weekend was definitely a life-changing um, experience for us as a family. That's amazing. Wow, that's so cool that you did that. I always remember that firewalk and just the the idea of ha- being in such a mental state that you have total confidence in yourself and you don't have any doubt or any fear. It's such a, a good exercise to go through in anything that you're trying to accomplish in life. Yeah, and it's, it's quite hard to explain to people if they don't know about the the course or they don't know about Anthony Robinson because it's yeah they're just like what you just walked over hot coals at the end of the weekend it's like what, what, what was that <laughs> what? but yeah, yeah it, it was so it. motivational and so like empowering it was definitely mm-hmm. um yeah an amazing weekend so many great lessons so yeah so then how did that um that carry you through and continue and then and then how did your you talked a little bit about some of the changes that you made with your nutrition but how did your exercise um, start to change as well? Yeah, so um, I think I just started to um, basically, I think like every teenage kid starts out when they want to train. Um, they just look on, look on YouTube and just want to do bicep curls and, and bench press and that sort of yeah. thing. So <laughs> it, was, it was very sort of um, basic. I was doing a lot of bodyweight exercise. I remember I was doing just making up circuits on my own with press-ups and squats and sit-ups and mm-hmm. thinking doing a thousand sit-ups is going to get me a really good stomach and yeah just just all the mistakes you make as a, as a young teenager getting into fitness mm-hmm. um 
But I remember I really stuck with our nutrition. So the whole family made a big change after that weekend, okay. which made it really easy for me as well, because we didn't have chocolate and sweets in the house. We didn't have crisps in the house. Mm-hmm. So if it wasn't in the house, then I'm not going to have it. I, I couldn't drive then. I was too young. So yeah. um, it made it so easy as a family to do that nutrition change Mm -hmm. and that was a big thing for me as well because we're all doing it together so Mm -hmm. if there was a point where I fancy some chocolate my parents but no come on let's stick with it or if my mum fancy some chocolate I'd encourage her to say come on stick with it we're we're all doing this Mm -hmm. together so I remember doing that for for probably a couple of years the weight just dropped off um and going into my kind of 15 16 years um because the weight was dropping off I was really like um grown into my to my body as a sportsman so mm-hmm. I was um I was captain of the rugby team at school I played lots of different sports for for my county mm-hmm. and I was really kind of there's a big shift from being the overweight kid to now being the sporty kid in the school yeah. so it was it was a period of kind of three or four years of that changing mm-hmm. and um yeah f- from 16 to 18 those last two years at school I was known as like the fitness kid so I was the one who would never have any chocolate sweets and always okay. watched his diet. So there was a nice change over that kind of between 13 and 18 period of, of being the one that some people would take the mick of and, and call me names compared to mm-hmm. five years later being the kid that everyone wants to try and beat or wants to try and compete with. That's so, incredible. And I have to imagine that had a huge impact just on your self-confidence and it trickled into other areas of your life as well. Yeah, massively, because um, there'd be points where when I was younger and overweight, I didn't want to go to a friend's house because they might take the tops off and, and do something or they might go to, to a pool. or um, So there's so many different things where you don't really realise you say no to because you're ashamed of how you look. Mm-hmm. And being that young and that at the age of kind of 13, 14, you don't really realise the effect it's having on you. You're just kind of getting on with your life and you think that's normal. But mm-hmm. um, deep down, you're probably quite unhappy and, and you're saying a, a no to a lot of situations because of, of how you feel about yourself. Mm-hmm. So from going from that to then being known as, as the sportiest kid in the school and and the guy who's starting to get like a really good body and and being more confident in yourself. Um, yeah, definitely a great feeling and something that really kind of motivated me to keep, to keep it going. That's amazing. Um... And I, ha- I love how you said, too, the impact that it made when your whole family made these changes together and just how important our environment is, you know, how we yeah. all are human. And so whatever was around us and what we're exposed to is what's going to become our normal. And so it's something we can all take into consideration, whether it's our where we work or our homes, you know, how we can try to make it easy to make the right healthy decisions for ourselves and the people around us. It's so Yeah, so massive. That's why CrossFit is such an amazing thing because mm-hmm. the community at the CrossFit boxes, um, I don't think, I probably wouldn't have stuck with the sport if the community wasn't such an amazing thing because that's what kept me going back every single day to the gym because I just want to socialise with my friends and also get an mm-hmm. awesome workout. So, yeah, it's definitely one of the, the key things that I always say to people is your environment and the people you surround yourself with is so important. Mm-hmm. And if you've got certain goals that you want to hit, you need to be around people that want to see you succeed. Um, because it makes such a big difference being around those sort of people. Totally. So you went from, like you said, being the the overweight kid, not having a lot of self-confidence into being the sporty kid who everybody sort of looked up to as the, the picture of fitness and health in high school. But then at some point you decided, hey, I love this so much. I want to help other people 
um, with their fitness and you decided to become a personal trainer. Can you talk about why uh, you made that decision? Yeah. So from the age of, um, like I said, probably 16 to 18, that was the period where I thought I was going to be a professional rug player. Um, that was my passion at the time. Um, I was on the right course. Um, like I said, playing for my, my county, I had um, trials at Tigers Academy, which is a really good rugby team here in England. Um, so that's the direction I thought I was going to go, just naturally lead into um, being a professional rugby player. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, I had uh, lots of different ankle issues, which had to stop me playing rugby. Um, so from the age of 18, um, thinking you're going to be a professional rugby player, to then someone saying you, you, you can't mm. play anymore. It's kind of a, a weird situation to be in when that's all you thought you were going to do. Yeah. Um, so I knew I didn't want to go to university. Um, that wouldn't be something that I don't think that was going to suit me. Mm-hmm. So um, I've always loved fitness, especially in like the, the pre- years leading up to this time. Um, I've been through a transformation myself. So I know how it feels to be an overweight person, then wanting to lose the weight and going through that journey. Mm-hmm. So to me, it was kind of a natural thing to to go into and, and be a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I left school straight away at the age of 18, did a PT course within a, within a year. And then I was working in a fitness gym from the age of 19 to about 22, 23. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely loved it. Um, taught lots of different uh, fitness classes, um, did several PTs each day, um, had a great group crew of people at the gym that I used to love working mm-hmm. with and used to love all the members. And um, I think my dad has always been a really good businessman. So I've never been one to, to kind of settle in what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So even though it was a great experience, I absolutely loved it. I wanted more from, from this bit as being a PT. Mm-hmm. So um, from there, I decided to open my own PT studio just in the back of my parents' garden. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up leaving the, the gym um, and doing my PT just from home and started doing um, functional style um, classes. Mm-hmm. So they were probably CrossFit based without me even knowing what CrossFit was. Right. Um, and it was all based around um, kettlebells and bodyweight training in like a CrossFit style format. Mm-hmm. And um, we used to teach one of those every day, six days a week. And some of the classes would have 50 people in. Wow. And it was a great, we, we kind of built like a really good community of people who would travel around um, Leicester doing the different classes. And, and it's literally like a CrossFit style environment and, mm-hmm. and, and unique way of community without mm-hmm. me even knowing it. And um, I ran that for maybe uh, five years and that was a really good experience. And that was kind of my first experience of, of running a business and, and being totally kind of self-dependent on myself and not working for anyone. Mm-hmm. And then I found uh, CrossFit in 2013. So I was watching um, just the YouTube video of the games mm-hmm. and uh, my dad showed me it and he was like, oh, I think, you, I think you'd be quite good at this because you've always had that competitive edge. You've always been fit and naturally strong. Mm-hmm. It'd just be the gymnastic elements that you've got you've to really nail down. So he showed me it and I just remember being addicted to watching every CrossFit video (laughs) on YouTube there possibly was. And um, yeah, as soon as I watched it, I was like, my goal is now get to the games. It was like I've been waiting to to find a sport that I could use my fitness for. Mm -hmm. But before I just just didn't know CrossFit existed. That's amazing. And so amazing to go from someone who didn't really like 
the fitness conditioning part, just like the sport part. And now you're actually doing exercise as your sport. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's just a weird turnaround of, of life. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. Okay. So you, you, you sort of fall in love with CrossFit. You decide this is what I want to do. How do you approach that? Like what were the steps that you took in order to be able to start um, entering in as a, as a competitor? Yeah. I remember when I first started CrossFit, it was so overwhelming because I was like, God, there's, there's so many moves I've got to get good at. And I just don't know how to, how I'm going to get good at so many movements. Mm-hmm. And um, I think a lot of people are in that situation where they watch um, a YouTube video or they watch a Netflix documentary of the sport and they come in, they're like, well, I want to come to the games next year. And it's like, oh, I love your enthusiasm, yeah. but it's going to take a lot of work to get to the games <laughs> yeah. and only a small percent of people actually make it to the games. Yeah. Um, but I was one of those when I watched it. I was like, oh, I want to get to the games next year. And um, I remember the nearest CrossFit box to me at the time was in Northampton, which was about a 50 minute drive away. Mm-hmm. So um, I went there twice a week. Um, I think I did one class and then um, a PT session with the coach there. Mm-hmm. And he could see I had potential because I was naturally strong. Um, and again, I was very fit for more the classes that I, I taught. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just the gymnastics that I was going to struggle with because I was a heavy athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, that just didn't come naturally to me. And I think within about two months, um, I entered in my first CrossFit competition. Wow. And uh, I think because I'd missed that competitive edge so much yeah. and I found something that I could compete in, I just wanted to compete like, as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember the coach saying, do you want to do RX or scale? I don't know. I definitely want to do RX. <laughs> I think I can do RX. Yeah. So I remember going into that weekend, I was absolutely petrified. I loved every minute of it, but I probably came last or near near bottom. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed the whole experience, and it was such an eye opener to to what level athletes are mm-hmm. and how good they are at certain aspects and how long they've done it. And I think that really made me realise that I've got to dedicate a lot of time at this to be able to get to a level that I want to get to. It's not just going to happen overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, and also around that time when I just found CrossFit we opened a commercial gym in 2014. So from, from teaching all the fitness classes and building a good membership base from that, um, me and my other three business partners opened a commercial gym. And that was a great time because I thought, right, this is great. I can, I can train twice a day like the pros do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just going to be amazing. It's going to make me such a better athlete. And we opened it in 2014 and it was it was the hardest three years I've probably ever had in my life because wow. we were working 12-hour days to try and keep the overheads down so we didn't have to employ so many staff. Then I was still trying to train twice a day, thinking I was a professional. Yeah. And <laughs> so I, I was progressing, but extremely slowly because I was just put I was just doing too many things at yeah. once. Yeah. And um we had that gym for three years and it got to a point where it wasn't making enough money to, to pay all of us. I really wanted to open a CrossFit box. Um, mm-hmm. So all three of us went to go our separate ways. So I owned it with my sister and mm-hmm. then two of the business partners. Obviously, my sister obviously still in, in contact, but we don't speak to the other two business partners um, that often anymore. But mm-hmm. yeah, we all came to a mutual decision that we need to kind of split ways because it's taken so much time from our life to try and keep this gym running for not much mm-hmm. reward. Mm-hmm. so um that was a three-year period of of me getting better at CrossFit but really not 
unleash my full potential because I was too exhausted from working. Mm-hmm. I was overtraining as inexperienced. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 2017, I opened CrossFit BFG. Okay. And that was the time where my kind of athlete career really progressed because that was a, a year where I could just coach two classes a day and then focus on really good quality training twice a day mm-hmm. and focus on recovery and getting enough sleep and make sure I'm eating enough. Mm-hmm. And that was the year where I really progressed and obviously led on to me qualifying for regionals. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it was definitely, definitely a really good decision opening my own box. That's amazing. And during that time, what approach did you take with your training or what, what people or, um, tools did you use to help structure? Like, did you have a coach? Did you follow a certain training plan or programming or how did you make sure that you were using your time of training efficiently to get you where you wanted to go? Yeah. So for me, I think that's quite an unusual, um, aspect as well because I coach myself and program myself mm-hmm. so um I have about well, I guess not that people. unusual for men I feel like there's a lot of men who take that approach <laughs> oh, <is there? laughs> or at least there used to be yeah yeah so I have kind of uh three or four people around me that are all um like weightlifting coaches and gymnastic uh-huh. coaches that are always constantly um tweaking my technique or telling me if I'm doing things wrong uh, which is really helpful but I've always loved the aspect of of programming for myself and mm-hmm. um, it's something that I've always really enjoyed and I think starting as an athlete I, I very quickly knew that like I said my gymnastics is my main area that I need to work on because I'm a, I'm a big dude I'm 100 kilos and that's going to be hard trying to mm-hmm. throw that around the rings and around the rig yeah. compared to like the, the athletes that are 85 90 kilos so yeah it's always something that's been very heavily focused in my training and I've always had an approach of, um, for me, 40% fitness, 40% gymnastics, 20% lifting. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's served me well. And it's something that I've, I've worked on a lot over the years. And I've, I now consider my gymnastics to be a strength of mine um, amongst the athletes, even though I'm still a fairly decent um, size compared to most of the athletes. And um, yeah, I think it just comes down to knowing what athlete you are. And every athlete is completely different. Some athletes really have to focus on strength because mm-hmm. they're naturally not as strong and their gymnastics comes easy to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas me, um, my strength is always there. And I, I knew if I just get better technique on the barbell and, and get more mobile, then my lifts are going to be a lot higher. I don't really have to focus too much on the strength block for myself. Mm-hmm. It's more just getting that gymnastic volume and, and getting that conditioning to where I want it to be. Yeah. So just being aware of your weaknesses and really focusing on those um, has taken you a long way. You talked a little bit earlier about what it was like to compete at regionals in 2018 and just the crowd and being in that competitive environment, um, coming away from that season. Um, how did that fuel you for 2019 and 2020? Yeah. So in 2018, that was my first kind of big accomplishment that I've achieved in the sport. Um, it's a really big thing for me to, to qualify for regionals. And um, that regional 2018 was a very much of a, like a celebration event for me. It was um, yeah, a combination of a lot of hard work and I had all my friends and family there and it was just a great weekend. I loved every second of it um, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't change anything for the world for that weekend. Um, I probably didn't, I didn't take it as seriously as I should have, but I just, I, did, I was just taking in all the atmosphere, taking in the crowd, mm-hmm. um, loving every event. Um, I was never really 
stressed out because I was there just to enjoy myself um, because it's, it's been a dream to to compete yeah. at regional. So, and I know that Europe region is always electric. I went, I wasn't there in 2018. I went in 2017 to watch and the crowd and just having so many countries in one arena at the same time is, it's really amazing. Yeah, it was, it was, I can't remember how many people there. I think the stadium held about between three and 4,000 people. And I remember people couldn't find seats that to just mm-hmm. sit on stairs and stand around because it was that mm-hmm. busy. So yeah, it was such an electric yeah. atmosphere and I'm so glad that I wasn't so stressed and wrapped up in the event that I could, that I missed all of the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really happy how I approached it and I remember finishing that event and being like, right, that was, that's the last event that I'm probably just going to go to enjoy. Now, every event I want to go to, I want to go there to win. I'm going to take it extremely seriously. So um yeah, it was a great experience. Man. I learned so much from regionals as an athlete um, on pacing and and how to recover between events. And I was a bit lost at that time. I was just kind of going with the flow and just doing the events and then mm-hmm. kind of doing whatever in between. Um, but yeah, I saw how how seriously the athletes took um, recovery and all different aspects of nutrition and their sleep. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I learned a lot from that weekend. And then going in 2019, that was my first year where I really felt confident that I can qualify for the games. And um, I mentally felt really strongly about that. Um, mm-hmm. I was confident in myself. I was confident in how my training has been going. Um, so, yeah, going into that season, I was very excited. And um, I remember the Open started. I think I had a good start. I can't remember what the first two workouts were. Um, I think the first one was rowing in war wars, I think, 19.1. And then the second one was um, a lifting work, I think. So I had a mm-hmm. good start. I, was, I think I was third and first in the UK. So really good start to the Open. I was sitting in first after the first two events. And then um, 19.3 came out, which I think was the strict handstand press-up one. Yes, I and remember that one. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw that and was like, right, okay, I don't really do that many strict handstand press-ups. I was doing so much kipping. Yeah. Just because it's always been keeping handstand press-ups in the open. Mm-hmm. So that was just uh, an error on my part of my program that I'd not put those in. And I remember just doing the, the workout for the first time and probably about 15 people in my gym beat me who don't take CrossFit seriously. Yeah. But they're just good at strict handstand press-ups. Yeah. Um, it was a workout where it was lunges, box step-ups. So everyone was getting to the wall at the same time, pretty much. It didn't separate anyone. Yeah, it all came and down then, to those handstand push-ups. Yeah, and then everyone was banging them out, and I was still there, like, 25 to go. Yeah. And I was like, what is going on here? Like, what's, I can't believe, I don't know what's happening. Mm-hmm. So then I did that workout on the Friday, and I thought, right, this could, this is going to be the workout where I need to get, just hold my own to basically mm-hmm. still qualify for the Games. And I did that workout five times over oh the... Goodness. Yeah, over the weekend. Every time I got a worse score as well. But I just, just kept trying <laughs> Another and lesson trying. there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, I was like, right, like that literally cost me my game spot. Uh, um, and yeah, and my open scores that year, I think it was uh, fourth, first, 168, first, second. Oh, gosh. So it was literally that that's one bad. that one workout. But that's why CrossFit is such a, a great sport because you can't have any weaknesses, otherwise you're going to be exposed, yeah. especially something like yeah. the Open. Um, so I remember the 19.3 is fi- finished and uh, submit my score. And obviously straight away, I knew 
my chances of the games were, mm-hmm. were gone. Mm-hmm. But um, I still wanted to finish the Open strong and just to to let the comp- my competitors know that it was just that one movement that cost me the games, not a multiple of movements. Mm-hmm. Or I didn't just quit just because I had a bad week. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the, the next week I came back and, and got first place in the UK and then the last week I got, got second. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I felt quite proud about that because I think it could have been very easy to have just can the open just off. Just kind of give up, yeah. Yeah, because there's, there's no... I can't get anything else from the open now because I'm mm-hmm. too low on the leaderboard. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I still wanted to show that it was just that one movement that, that's cost mm-hmm. me that spot. Um, so, yeah, still finished strong. Yeah. And I can I can relate to that because, for me, it was parallel handstand push-ups at the Games in 2012. And it's so frustrating in the moment when you know, you know you're so prepared in all these areas, but you have this one hole that's going to cost you big time. But it's also in those moments that you, I think, learn and grow the most. So obviously that had to have been crushing that you're feeling so ready and prepared to qualify for the games. But how did you then take that sort of failure and use it to fuel you for your 2020 season, which was your best yet? Yeah, so I kind of came obsessed with strict handstand press-ups. And I picked probably about four people in my gym that are a lot smaller than me, a lot lighter than me, and they were a lot better at strict handstand press-ups. And I was like, right, within within a year, two years, I want to be better than all of you at strict handstand mm-hmm. press-ups. Mm-hmm. And obviously they want to see me succeed as well. So they're like, right, okay, we'll, we'll, have, a, we'll have a little race continuously. Who can get better at strict handstand press-ups? And obviously at the start, they were way ahead of me. Um, I think my 50, my 50 for time back then was about five minutes, 10 seconds. Okay. So super slow. And then um, a couple of months back, we did a hundred for time and I finished in 526. Wow. Look at that so, improvement. <laughs> yeah. Huge improvement. And uh, yeah, I beat all those, all those lads that we kind of had a bet with. So yeah, kind of came obsession of just doing them three or four times a week in all different types of formats, um, along with keeping out some press-ups, deficit ones, um, and just really making sure that's never going to be a weakness ever again. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we hammered them continuously. And I remember my training partners were like, right, we're just going to finish with some handstand press-ups. Like, what? Not again. Like, we just did them like three <laughs> days ago. I was like, I don't care. We're doing them again. Yeah. So it got to the point where they're like, come on, Zach, you don't need to be doing this many. I was like, I do. I, I need to get better at this movement. Yeah. And um, yeah, so my, my time's really increased. I think my 50 for time now is about 120, 115. Okay. So wow. it's, it's never going to be as good as, as like, the athletes who are good at antipressants are a lot smaller, but I think for my size and weight, that's quite a good that's area to be impressive. with the handstand yeah. press-ups. And um, so going into 2020, I didn't really feel like I had any weaknesses that, that could come up. Um, there's certain movements that still I can never do just because my ankle issues, mm-hmm. um, things like rebound box jumps, uh, mm-hmm. I'd never go to do them. And obviously you had your mm-hmm. injuries with those bad experiences. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, darn those box jumps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so what do you do when that comes up? I mean, how do you handle that? Cause obviously that's for me, I never had a, you know, that was at the end of my competition career and now I don't really ever do rebounding but if you're in a competition that that cycling time makes a huge difference so how do you approach yeah, that I just have to I just step um because the risk of injury for me um 
with my ankles is just too high to warrant um warrant kind of pushing and risking that so um I'll just try and make that time up somewhere else in the workout um so yeah I just jump up and have to step down mm-hmm. and yeah it's, it's something that I'd never really risk I don't think mm-hmm. um so so yeah so 2020 came up um feeling really good a good start to the open I think okay I think I won the first one and then maybe second in the UK and the second one and then I think it was a third one. It was um, deadlifts and handstand press-ups. Mm, yeah, your revenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, I wanted the handstand press-ups to come up so badly. Yeah. Because I didn't want all that work to come up and I couldn't show <laughs> for it. So yeah. when that came up, I was like, yes, like I'm so happy <laughs> that came up. And I know my competitors were like, right, this is the one where Zach's going to fall off. Um, and I did that workout and I won that by maybe like 10 15 seconds in the UK wow and that was such a big achievement for me because mm-hmm. my competitors were thinking that's the workout where he's going to slip and then mm-hmm. I've managed to win it in the UK mm-hmm. and, and that just shows how much hard work I've put into handstand press-ups over the last two years um so for me to have him win that workout that was one of my kind of best achievements that mm-hmm. I think I've I could say in my career because it was a real kind of um solidification that I'd all my hard work, my program that I've done on this movement has paid off mm-hmm. and I've got a reward for it. That's amazing. Um, and to know it's those, you know, it, those little decisions that you make every day, like you said, at the end of a training session saying, nope, we're going to do a, a few more handstand pushups today over the yeah. course of a year and how that adds up to have this huge impact in the outcome. And I think um, it's easy for people to make excuses in the day or kind of let things slip or say like, Oh, we just did them three days ago. I don't need to repeat them. But when you make those decisions to to really focus and stay disciplined over the course of a year, you know, you can see the results speak for themselves. Yeah, massively. I know my training partners at the end of that, they're like, oh, that's why you're doing them so often then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So he's onto something. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was a really good um, yeah, that was a really good week for me. And then um is a strong finish again. Uh, I think week four was the the heavy barbell with with box jumps. Mm-hmm. So again, um, I knew for me it wasn't so crucial to rebound during that workout because the barbell got really heavy. So I knew I wasn't going to lose too much time on that aspect because mm-hmm. um, I could throw the barbell around probably faster than most of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, that was a strong week. And then week five was extremely stressful with the you could split the work up however you want because mm-hmm. it just that just promotes you having to try the workout so many times in so many different ways. <laughs> yes. and it was just so stressful. Um, so yeah, I did that workout. I think I did it four, three or four times, just trying different methods. And I think I only finished the workout twice because two of the attempts were just way off the pace and it was the wrong strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that was a, that was a real kind of, it was a good test. And I enjoyed the way they did it, but it did promote you having to try the workout so many times to find the best way to do it. Yeah. Lots of ways to strategize. Yeah. Um, but then the last workout I did was, was my fastest time. So we managed to nail down, nail down the best way I could possibly do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, ended up winning the open by one point it was. So it was a close race all the way to the end. That's amazing. And how did it feel then finally after so many years and having so many obstacles in your way, to know that you qualified for the CrossFit Games? It was kind of a, it was a really weird feeling because like, like, you know, the Open is such a stressful five weeks and you, like you're yeah. at the peak 
of your ability for five weeks and you're so mm-hmm. dialed in and then to at the end of the five weeks to see you at the top of the leaderboard but then you still got to wait months two months before CrossFit verify it mm-hmm. and it's very nerve-wracking yeah massively so you don't want to celebrate then because all it takes is you got three no reps and then mm-hmm. you can drop down the leaderboard mm-hmm. so um I remember 2020 I think there was there's quite a few athletes that just dropped down the leaderboard because of um small errors they were making or just a slight yeah. not lockout on a thruster or um so it was such a nerve-wracking weight because I didn't want to even though I was at top I didn't want to celebrate I didn't want to kind of jinx anything mm-hmm. so um I just kind of carried on as normal just kind mm-hmm. of in that evening I was like right I'm top of the leaderboard everyone was going mental around me um but I was like right I'm not going to celebrate I'm not going to get carried away I'm just going to have a rest and crack on with training mm-hmm. and then when when we actually get like that email saying you've qualified for the games that's when I'll be happy and I'll feel relieved mm-hmm. so kind of two months goes by and by that point you kind of already gearing up for the next thing mm-hmm. and that was happened two months ago and you've kind of for- not forgotten about it but it's in the past now and then you get the email saying you qualify for the games and I remember just getting it on my phone I was at home on my own mm-hmm. I was like oh cool I've got the email <laughs> and it's like that was it it's real <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right time to go train again <laughs> yeah but that literally that was it and then just went back into yeah. gym told all my friends yeah. and family we went out for like a celebratory meal and then yeah just cracked on with my normal training so yeah. it was um I think getting a game spot at an event and being announced at an event like regionals is a whole different level of um like energy and atmosphere and mm-hmm. and like self-achievement compared to I think winning the open mm-hmm. um because like I said there's that delayed time of actually getting verified and then watching the videos mm-hmm. and then you just get your email so I was extremely happy and proud of what I've achieved. But by the point I got the email, I was already kind of focused on the next stage of, of getting ready for the games. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, you know, of course, last season we had a pandemic, everything changed. And you ended up, because of the way that the format changed with with the pandemic and not being able to travel, you ended up not even being able to compete at the games. So I mean, that had to have been, you know, a huge high to know you qualified and then also a low to say, gosh, I can't even go and compete um, at the games like I anticipated. So what was what was last year like for you? Yes, I think we first went into lockdown in March. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember when it first happened, I think everyone, especially the people around me, would be like, right, this is we don't know what this is, but it's going to be a couple of weeks and then we're just going to be back to normal because yeah, we, we just didn't know what it was at the time. And uh, I remember closing the gym and um, a month went by, two months went by. And I was thinking, right, this is this is probably going to affect the games because this is going to be a lot longer than what we all anticipate it was going to be. Um, so mentally, I was already kind of said to myself, like, the games is probably going to change. But I just thought there'd be no spectators. I'd still thought I'd still be able to, to compete. Mm-hmm. and um I think the first announcement they made was that it was going to be no spectator event so it was going to be the same amount of athletes just no spectators um and for me obviously still competing would have been good but the main thing for me being at the games is enjoying it with my family and my friends and having mm-hmm. all the people that have worked with me and been there to support me through my whole seven-year journey 
mm-hmm. I want to share it with them and I want I want them to be there. So straight away when they announced there's gonna be no spectators, that was already a massive thing for me because I want to be there with my close family and friends. Mm-hmm. And then um and then they said they were gonna take not gonna take um the national champ spots, which mm. obviously that was my ticket to the game. But yeah. then I also qualified top 30 in, in the world. So mm-hmm. I was like, right, okay, hopefully they take the top 30 and then I'm still good. Yeah. And then they ended up only taking the top 20. And then I think I was about when people decline spots one, I think I was two spots out. Oh, so gosh. even then it only took two people not to be able to travel or get injured and then I'd still get a call up. So I didn't actually know hundred percent. I wasn't going to the games till pretty late on. There's always that oh, little that bit hope, of hope. Yeah. yeah. That we're hanging on to. Um, but I just took the attitude that it's totally out of our control. There's a lot of people worse off than I am just not being able to go to the games um, obviously people losing jobs losing their lives with the pandemic so there's a lot a lot more people that are worse off than I am um, and I just chose to to dive my energy into something else so um, being an athlete obviously your main focus is constantly trying to be the best athlete you can be um, mm-hmm. whereas this gave me a big off season to be able to kind of dive into a lot of work um, a lot of social media stuff um, I wrote a book so I kind of tried to channel that energy and not make it a negative thing and turn it into a positive thing. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we've achieved a lot in the last year that we probably wouldn't have if we went to the game. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just turning that negative situation to a positive. That's great perspective. Really great perspective. Um, and I know another thing that you um, really are intentional about is and that you love doing is helping other people um, achieve their goals with your with your gym and your affiliate. And you really try to make a positive environment for them and, and talk about, you know, the, the quote of having the best hour of your day when, when someone walks into your gym, how, what are some of the ways that you do that? And what's, why is, why is that something that's, um, that's important to you? Yeah, I think it's definitely something that we really make a big conscious effort in our gym, because that's one of the main reasons people come back to the gym. And it's great that we have so many times where people have had a bad day at work, and they come in, you can see they're a bit down um, or they're a bit stressed because they've had such a stress day at work. And then hour and a half later, they're a completely different person and they walk out of the gym absolutely buzzing and having a great workout and having a great laugh mm-hmm. with all the friends at the, at the box. And that's something that I love to see is just seeing how we can have such a great impact on, on someone's day when most of that day they've been stressed out and it's not been a good day. So mm-hmm. yeah, I love seeing that. And I think it just comes down to just, again, the community and the environment that we've, we've created. Um, when people walk into that door, they just, they just instantly smile because they, they're seeing their, their friends and their family and it's their social life. Mm-hmm. And there's so many people that they say when they walk into the gym, they're, they're a different person because they become more like a child because they have fun they're messing around, um, they're getting a really good workout, but they're just having a great time with, with mm-hmm. their close friends. And to create a space where people can feel that every single day, that's an amazing achievement. That's something that I've always wanted to, to achieve. And it's the main reason that I created a CrossFit box is when I was getting into fitness, I would have loved to have a place like that where you could just go in, totally be yourself 100%, not feel self-conscious, um, not be worried about if I'm only doing pull-ups, but the person next to me doing ring muscle-ups. It doesn't matter what 
level you're at, you can come in, have a great workout and then enjoy having a social aspect as well. And yeah, I think that's what's so special about CrossFit boxes and the community. Oh, absolutely. And I know something that we all have been missing and hoping, you know, for me, I've just started going back to an affiliate and just realizing how much I missed that aspect of just the environment being around people and how, how big of a difference that makes. Yeah. Like, like you said, you can walk in one way and you walk out just in a completely different mood. And so, yeah, that's really special. Um, what are some of the ways that CrossFit has helped? I mean, you obviously have an incredible attitude and work ethic and, um, ability to sort of, like you said, turn negative into positive and, and keep moving forward. Um, what are some of the ways that you think CrossFit has helped you grow as a person? I think it's definitely made me a lot mentally stronger um, because obviously, you know, training for as a CrossFit athlete, you've got to put yourself in some dark situations several times a week. Mm-hmm. And that's something that doesn't come naturally. You don't just walk into a gym and enjoy putting yourself in a hole and having the ability to push through all the negative thoughts you have in during a workout. Mm-hmm. It's something that you develop over time and it's something that you your body develops just from being in that situation over and over again. And it builds a real good resilience and determination. I think that's what you can transfer over into everyday life. Um, yeah, the ability of of just being resilient and and not not giving in too early and and not getting troubled by certain obstacles that might come up in life. It really gives you the tools to to look at the situation, kind of realize what's going on and then build a plan to overcome it and that's pretty much what we do in the gym we, we devise a plan of where your weaknesses are where your strengths are you put that plan in motion you mm-hmm. you attack it for months and months and months and at the end of the 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 cycle you're going to be better in certain areas and that same model you can transfer into any aspect of your life and um yeah that's taught me a lot within crossfit mm-hmm. and you mentioned this year you wrote a book i know it's coming out soon and the book is called Start Where Others Stop. And I know this yeah. is a mantra that you use a lot yourself. Can you explain for us what that means to you? Yes, yeah, so start where they stop. It means it doesn't matter what age you are, um, what gender you are, what size you are. If you want to start your fitness journey or any journey in your life, it's never too late to start that journey. Mm-hmm. And it's a book about a lot about my experience of, of growing up and what I've been through as a, as a kid. Cause uh, like I said, a lot of people who know me now would never believe what I've been through as a kid. They just would assume that I've always been naturally in great shape and always been happier how I look. So it's a lot about my past and growing up, but then it's a lot about giving people the tools to, to, to goal set, to achieve um, goals that they want to achieve and not be scared of, aiming high I think mm-hmm. like you said before it's really important to surround yourself with such positive and great people that if you set yourself a goal they want to see you achieve that goal they're not going to say that you're aiming too high maybe aim a little bit lower mm-hmm. they want to see you get the highest possible achievement they can and yeah starting where the stop is if you're middle-aged and you're overweight and you're thinking oh, I'm too old you hear it a lot people saying I'm too old to to lose weight I'm too old to start CrossFit or I'm too old to start the gym it's kind of trying to throw that mentality out the window and doesn't matter what age you are like I said what what weight you are you can always start that fitness journey and everyone's fitness journey is going to be totally different someone's going to achieve their fitness journey a lot quicker a lot slower than what you do you might 
but you've got to understand everyone's got their own journey. Um, everyone will achieve goals in their own time. As long as you're consistent, resilient and determined to achieve that goal, then you will achieve it. And it's never too late to start that journey. That's amazing. And you are definitely a living example of it. So I'm excited for, uh, for the book to come out and people to, Thank to you. continue to learn from you and be inspired by you. Thank you. Um, as we start to, yeah, as we start to wrap up first, um, would you take us through what a typical day in your life looks like right now as you're you know, about to start the open, you're in training mode? What is a typical yeah, day so look like in your life? For me, um, like I said, because the open stage is very different now, so you just got to get top 10%. My, my week's pretty much the same as it, as it would have been. Um, so I'll go to the gym for 10.30. Um, in the morning, it's always a condition-based um, workout. Um, and that conditioning base will, will vary from sprint intervals to laptop threshold to combat competition stimulation wads. Um, so it varies during the week, but the morning is always a conditioning base for about hour, hour and a half. And then mobility and stretching after that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll get back home and then I'll do um, any sort of program I need to do for the clients, um, have check-ins with them and, and monitor their videos. Um, any sort of um, calls, and that, I'll, I'll normally get them in between uh, one and about four mm-hmm. so that's a window where I try and get as much work done as possible um, now we're leading up to the open I'll always make sure I get about a 20 minute nap at some point mm-hmm. just to kind of feel more uh, energized for the second session and then I'll go back to gym for five o'clock uh, that will always be weightlifting gymnastics normally lasts for about an hour and a half and then an hour of um, half an hour of mobility again mm-hmm. and then get home and, and dinner so that's pretty much my everyday routine Wednesdays, the only days that are different if we weren't in a pandemic, because that's when I'd have my swimming session. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the pools have been closed for forever now. So oh, it's, it's been a long time since I've been in a pool, which is not good. Oh, that's rough. I didn't realize that. That makes it really hard. Yeah. Um, gosh. Okay. And then there's three questions I ask everyone at the end of the podcast. The first are, what are the three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health? Yeah, I think for me, um, sleep is a massive important thing for me. So I can tell a massive difference on training and my everyday energy if I don't get my um, eight to nine nine hours of sleep a day. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, yeah, that's such a big um, thing for me, I I feel, as an athlete, is is getting enough sleep. Um, Secondly, it would be um, mobility and um, recovery. Mm -hmm. So again, I can tell massively if I get lazy with my mobility and stretching, I'll start to get little niggles. I'll start to get tendonitis come back in certain areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really makes a big effect on my everyday life. But then more importantly on my training aspect, because then I have to start adjusting training because I'm getting, um, yeah, I'm just getting too many aches and pains. So mm-hmm. that's a massive thing where I could definitely recommend to anyone is to make sure you, you, you stay on your mobility. And then thirdly, I would say um, probably the most obvious one is nutrition. Is I've always lived by you can you can never outtrain a bad diet. Mm-hmm. And again, having a good diet massively transfer, transfers to being the best athlete you possibly can be, but then also living the best life that you could possibly be. Um, you could have all the money in, in the world, but if you're un, if you're unhealthy in life, then I don't really see the point. So yeah, be, being healthy and 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 especially being confident in the way you look, I think that definitely leads to having the healthiest life possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you use anything in particular, any, 
you know, strategy or tool for mobility or for your nutrition? Yeah. So um, I use the Hypervolt, mm-hmm. um, the normal tech uh, leg sleeves that are really good because um, mm-hmm. I can just put them on and sit there and relax and that just does the work for you. Yeah. And then um, their Hypersphere, which is like a vibrating uh, ball which is really good. And then again, that gets into like my chest area and, and my lats and to release the shoulders. So yeah, they're the three main tools that I'd use pretty much every single day. And like I said, if I don't use them for like a month, I can see a massive difference in my training. Mm-hmm. That's great. What's one thing that you think would have a big impact on your health, but you have a hard time implementing it or something you're working on? Hmm, one thing. Um, so what's that again? One thing. That you think would have a big impact on your health, but you have a hard time implementing it or something you're working on. Hmm. I think for me, um, I think for me, I I sometimes get lost with my my water intake. It's something I mm. have to really focus on to mm-hmm. to get the right amount of water in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can easily go through a week and miss my water intake every single day just because I get lost with just make sure I eat my food and then I get carried away with work or programming um so me I really have to every day so consciously make sure I'm drinking enough water every single day so I just have a little chart where I have my water intake and then I have to tick that off once I've got that intake for the day Mm -hmm. where it may seem like a really small thing but it makes such a big impact on performance and it's something that I can very easily go from day to day and not get enough water intake. So yeah, I think for me, it's definitely just making sure I drink enough water each day. And again, it it may sound like a simple thing, but it can make such a big impact on your, your training. That's huge. That's huge. Last question is what does a healthy life look like to you? Yeah. Healthy life for me is, um, just being happy in what you're doing. So that could be your job uh, or the relationship you're in. Um, just being happy and content with with my relationship, which I extremely am. I'm very lucky to have um, Sam as a partner who is definitely kind of a backbone to me being successful as an athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, and then being happy in the job you're doing, which obviously I'm so fortunate to, it's not really a job. It, I, I kind of, I love training every single day. Um, and yeah, I get to do that and I get to travel around the world and, and compete in all different aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's just being happy in every aspect of your life and um, yeah, not getting stuck in a rut or not being, not being scared to change things because you're scared of what might happen. If you're not unhappy in, in a certain area, then make sure you put a plan in place to change that because like I said, yeah, you just got to be happy in every area of your life. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Well, Zach, this has been a wonderful conversation and I'm so excited to see you competing this season and I hope you have a, a great season, a great open. You're, and thank you for sharing your story. I think that just by sharing your story and who you are and the things that you've been through is inspiring to so many people. And the, you know, the motto that you have or the mantra that you have, start where others stop, um, is something that can resonate You know, for someone who right now is feeling overweight or self-conscious or feeling like, I don't know how I can ever do it. You know, you can see just one step at a time you've done it and you've gone all the way to the fittest. So even if, even if you don't have aspirations of competing, um, you know, it's not, it's not 
unreasonable to be able to really change your life in such a positive way. Yeah, and then if if that book manages to just help or affect one person's life, then I feel like that's achieved what mm-hmm. I've achieved about helping people and yeah, try and get them in the best, happiest situation they can be in their life. That's great. Well, where can people learn more about the book or find you or follow what you're doing? So the book will be released in April and mm-hmm. um, anyone can find me on Instagram, which is Zach George. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much, Zach. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, please consider subscribing and giving it a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does help to get the word out to more people. Thank you.